know, and we would love to begin talking about how we form a team of people who want to, uh, to be intentional about doing ministry to those who uh, are in need of families and love in that way. My name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's, uh, big, it's good to be back together. I was uh, gone with a team of people last week. We went to Minnesota for uh, what we are calling our Navigate Training Program, which is a part of the congregational vitality pathway that our denomination has created for churches who want to explore together God's mission and his call for their community in the future. It was a great week. It was uh, uh, like drinking from a fire hose. Uh, Dan Platter, our church chair, Anthony Apellis, who is going to be our vitality team leader, and Kaylin Griffin, who's going to be our leadership team coordinator, uh, went with us, and uh, we just had a great time of hearing from God, uh, getting some good training, and then being able to unpack a little bit about what all of that meant for us. And they are going to join me uh, in a couple Sundays on the 22nd. We're going to do a, a full report to you all about what this vitality pathway means and what it looks like. Um, one of the things that I shared with the team as I went into the process is that as we have kind of finished up our listening campaign, as we're casting a vision for the future, as we're anticipating how do we begin to make plans for how we move forward as a church, I've lived with this tension in myself uh, regarding pace and timing. Because too much change too quickly can be overwhelming and scary. And yet, uh, if we don't move the ball forward and take some specific action, uh, we can get stuck and we can kind of spin our wheels. And I think even within our congregation, some of you all uh, fit on both sides of that equation. Some people are anxious and a little bit fearful about what does change mean and where are we going as a church in this new season. And some of you are like, come on, we got to get on the stick and get some things done and let's start checking stuff off the list. And so as, as a pastor, I, I feel that tension that, that both are needed and right and good. And how do we as a community in this season find our pace and our timing and pursue God's mission with intentionality, but also uh, go slow enough so that we're ensuring that we're all going on the journey together? And, and one of the things I can say is after getting this training and finding out a little bit more about what this congregational vitality pathway is, it, it, at the end of the time together, they said, what's one big takeaway that you can share with us, with the group? And, and what I said is my takeaway is I believe that the congregational vitality pathway can be the pacemaker on the heartbeat of our church. The, the, the pathway can be the pacemaker on the heartbeat of our church. Because, see, the pathway, it turns out, isn't necessarily a program. It's not something that you can just check things off the list and say, okay, we've done this. They are intentional experiences that we can go through as a congregation that open the opportunity for us to have conversations in the power of the Spirit to really understand what is the next best step for us as a church and doing things in the right way at the right time through the Holy Spirit's leading. And I was excited about that because that sounds so much healthier and so much more missional and so much a better approach than having the next greatest you know, church growth trend that we're going to put into place and say, if you, you know, do these five things, add water and stir, then your church will be you know, growing and healthy. That's not what this is about. These are intentional resources that our denomination is providing for us where at the right place, at the right time, when we're ready, they will come in and send a facilitator in to help us have a conversation as a, as a church, to talk about the important questions and to be able to plan next steps based on those conversations. And the one thing they kept saying over and over through this training is, it's not about the information that we're going to give you. 
It's about the conversations that you will have as a result of the information that we give you. And so I am excited, and, I, and I'm excited to have the team come and present their impressions of the time together, and as we begin to see how we can use this as a resource coming out of our listening campaign to begin to flesh out our vision and our mission as a church as we move forward on this journey of faith that we are on together. When we talk about congregational vitality, we talk about becoming a healthy and missional church, and by healthy, we mean pursuing Christ. And by missional, we mean pursuing Christ's priorities in the world. And that's really what our series, Vital Signs, is all about. Uh, as Kara was able to share last week, we finally got our, our banner up on the walls. It was a, a, a labor of love by Tori and uh, some of our staff and the communications people to get this thing together and up on the walls. But we're excited that it's here. And, and what you see are the 10 healthy missional markers of a church or, or those vital signs that the Bible says are the important uh, pieces of what a healthy and missional church can include in their life together. And we've been going through this series called Vital Signs for a number of weeks now. And uh, this morning, uh, Pastor Dick was uh, going to preach on sacrificial living and giving. Uh, last week, Kara preached on uh, heartfelt worship. And uh, we need to pray for Pastor Dick this morning because he's not here to preach. Uh, I got a text this morning at five o'clock saying that he wasn't going to be able to make it. Uh, you know, Kara preached last week on the temptation of uh, worshiping idols and having idols in our lives. And so we really need to pray for Pastor Dick because I, I hear that he's at home praying to the porcelain God. <laughs> so uh, his salvation might be in question uh, if we're not careful. <laughs> in all seriousness, seriousness though, Dick, Dick is homesick uh, and he's not doing well. And so we can be praying for him. Uh, and would you pray for me as, as we uh, look into God's word again to say, uh, how does sacrificial living and giving become an important part of being healthy and missional as a church? And, and what are the places that it impacts our lives personally? How, how does God's word for uh, this kind of a lifestyle really challenge us as believers in, in our own lives as we ask what God's plan and his purposes are for each one of us as well? Would you join me in prayer? God, we do thank you that you are concerned about all of the details of our lives. And we, we pray for, for Pastor Dick as he is homesick and he is not doing well. And um, we just ask that you would bring your healing touch upon him. Be with Mary Kay as she cares for him and uh, tries to nurture him back to health. Would you allow him to be restored quickly uh, to overcome the discomfort and the, the, the ickiness of being sick? And would you be with us this morning as we uh, seek your guidance through your word and through uh, our lives to be able to be a church that really is pursuing Christ and pursuing Christ's priorities not only in our lives, but in our world. We thank you and we praise you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When we begin to talk about sacrifice and generosity, we... we we want to believe that we are uh, sacrificial and that we are generous. I mean, we are called to, to be like Jesus. And yet, as wealthy Americans, part of the challenge with us is how do we really begin to take our priorities off of believing that we have our value, our sense of security, and our, our priorities around the stuff that we have and really transfer it to the Spirit of God and His plans and purposes in our lives. And that can be a challenge. 
As we look to Romans chapter 12, which we're all very familiar with, uh, if you are, uh, have been a believer for very long, where Paul talks about this lifestyle of worship. And that we, we have to understand is that when we come to worship God on Sunday morning, it's not just about coming and worshiping for one hour at a church building on a corner and then going home or going back to work and going about our lives as if that hour on Sunday morning didn't have anything to do with the rest of our lives. In chapter 1 of verse 12, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He goes on to say that that the spirituality of a lifestyle of worship, a a sacrificial and generous lifestyle, isn't something that we do individually or alone. It's not something that you as a Christian are asked to do by yourself. This is a lifestyle that is lived out in the context of community, which is really what the call to be the church of Jesus Christ is really all about. In verse 3, he goes on to say, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, though we, we though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And then he goes on in verses 9 through 11, which I don't think we have on the screen, but he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So we can see here from Paul's expanded explanation of what this spiritual lifestyle of worship is really all about. It is something that is lived out in relationship with the believing community. It is a part of being church together. So so our sacrificing, our generosity is not intended to just be something that we do for people we don't know, but it's intended to be for the people that we know. We're called by God to, to bring together our time, our talent, and our treasure for a purpose that's greater than our own happiness, for a purpose that's greater than our own comfort, for a purpose that's greater than our own priorities in the world. And what we discover is that in the process of doing that, Our priorities become God's priorities, and we discover a deeper meaning and value and purpose for living our lives. And often the things that we thought were most important become less and less important to our own happiness and our own uh, plans for our lives in the world. There are two things that uh, our denomination says, churches that focus on sacrificial and generous living uh, emphasize that are really important for us to understand as we move forward. And the first one is that 
when churches talk about sacrificial living and giving, the, the first focus is often on what? Money. And what's the first thing that we as Americans do when we hear churches talking about money? We go, ooh, bad. Money is the third rail of preaching, right? It's that electrified rail that as preachers touch it, you know, the, the culture in the world goes, oh no, they're wanting our money again. And we react because money is a big deal to us. But I think the first thing that we have to understand is that as we talk about sacrificial living and giving, money is not the first most important priority, but that the Bible says that God has given each one of us gifts of the Holy Spirit that we are entrusted with, that he has asked us to use and to spend on behalf of one another and those that God would call us to live live for. And if we don't understand that we have a treasure that God has entrusted to us, that he has called us to invest and to develop and to multiply and grow, and we end up focusing all our time on money and the accumulation of money and our own security through money, then we miss the greater treasure that God has given us that gives us a sense of value and meaning and purpose as created in the image of God. And so churches that have a culture of sacrificial giving and living are churches that are primarily based on what they call gift-based ministry. You see, when we do ministry as, as a congregation, it's not about hiring enough staff people who have the experience and the education and be able to do the ministries of the church. That's getting it upside down. The Bible says that our job is to hire staff people who can coach and train all the people in the church to use their gifts in the way that God has blessed them and intended them so that as one body, we are ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. Then we are pooling our resources in a way that allows us to do and to be more than any of us could do alone. Our ministry for the future at Faith Covenant Church is intended to be one that we say is of developing people. Making disciples is so much more than just converting people to believe in Jesus. It's helping people to live and learn and grow for a lifetime. And a huge part of growing in our faith is learning to understand how God has wired us and gifted us to be able to use our personality and use our experiences and skills and use those spiritual gifts to make a difference in the lives of other people. Because see, as we step out and we begin to have the focus of ministering and blessing others around us and using our very lives to be of service to Christ, we find that we are wired and created in a way that is unique to each one of us. And that there are things that each of us can do that only we can do. And each one of us then is a vital and valuable part of the ministry of this thing that we call church. And so as we move forward as a faith community, as we talk about what is God leading us to be and to do, a big part of answering that question is first asking each of us, what is God leading me to be and to do? And how do I bring, even if it's just five little loaves and two fish, how do I bring that to Christ and allow him to multiply it so that I'm a part of the feast that he is preparing among us to bless not only one another, but the world around us. 
The second thing that is really important for us to understand about this is that church was intended to be a divine human partnership. You see, the the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit in me is actually something that we have as a gift to give away. I think too often when we talk about spiritual gifts in the church, we, we talk about them as somehow these are spiritual abilities that God has given me that I can use and that I can perform apart from the Holy Spirit. But if you look at how the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, they are really manifestations of the Holy Spirit in me, working through me almost as the vessel of the Spirit. And it's almost like we step back and go, wow, look at God work. There's no way I could have done that in my own strength or my own wisdom or my own power. And so it's both a humbling but also an exciting experience because we all of a sudden realize that the God of the universe The God who created us, the God who knows us more intimately than we know ourselves, wants to use us, wants to flow through us so that we can become a blessing to other people in ways that we never could have asked for or imagined. And when we begin to experience relationship with God in that way, our life takes on a whole new level of of excitement, a whole new level of mystery and adventure because who knows what God's going to do next? Who knows who God is going to lead me to next? Who knows how God is going to weave new relationships and new experiences into my life so that I can be used by God to be a blessing to those around me? Church is intended to be a divine human partnership. And as we understand that it's more about what we allow God to do through us and less about what we think God wants us to do on our own strength, the more we get into this idea that we are on a journey with God and we can trust him with our lives. This was kind of the attitude that we see in Acts 15, 28. Uh, if you remember the story of the early church when, when the, uh, the, the Gentile believers were coming to faith in Jesus and the Jewish believers were like, oh my goodness, how is this happening? And there began to be this conflict. You know, it's like, well, you can't be believers unless you start to follow all of the Old Testament laws and rules that we Jews have followed for centuries. And Paul and some of the other apostles were going, whoa, 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 whoa. We've been set free from Christ. Why would we want to put this heavy burden of religiosity back on top of people when we've been set free for Jesus? And as they thought and they prayed and they listened, they they came up with this phrase in Acts 15, 28, where they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And they went on to say the things that they thought were most important in that day. But, but I, I don't want to skip over this phrase. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You see, there was this conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit that the early church felt was vital to being able to take any steps forward. They were constantly seeking the wisdom and the presence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and they were talking about it with one another. It was a divine human partnership that allowed the church to believe that what was good and what was right would be guided and led by the presence and the power of the Spirit in their lives. And so as as we move forward as a church, one of the things that we think is really important is how do we begin to have conversations with one another where we allow the Holy Spirit to be present and to speak into those conversations so at the end of those conversations, we too can say, well, this is what we've decided to do because it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We and God are in agreement 
that we can take these next steps because this is where the Spirit is leading us. This is what God is calling us to be and to do. And that as we receive those gifts of the Spirit among us, we are blessed and encouraged to take those steps forward in confidence. The second thing, once we understand that it's really important that we strive for a ministry that's based on the gifts and the leadership of the people of God as the body of Christ, then we do have to ask that next question. Can we regularly and graciously and yet unapologetically teach that the Christian life is to be a life of whole life stewardship that includes not only our time and our talents, but yes, also our treasure? A whole life approach to discipleship suggests that we give because God himself is a giver, and we are created to be conformed to the image of God. John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses in, in, in the world, perhaps, right? For God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son. God is a giver. And if we look to Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul is talking about the church and, and how God raises up leaders in the church and calls people forward into ministry, he says in verse 11 through 13, so Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of Christ. You see, Christ gave people. Christ gave apostles, prophets, teachers, all different kinds of people to fulfill different roles in the community. But let's not skip over that, that God gives people as gifts. You are a gift that Jesus wants to give to this faith community or whatever faith community you're a part of to fulfill a role as part of the body of Christ in that community. And as you are that gift, it doesn't just mean your physical body. It doesn't just mean your ideas. It doesn't just mean your emotions. It doesn't just mean your prayers. It means everything. It means your priorities. It means your bank account. It means your toys. It means your hobbies. It means your free time. It means everything that you have and everything that you are is a part of the gift that God wants to use to give to others to be a blessing. And I think too often we, we separate out in our modern mindset where we're so scientific about things, we can parse things down to their smallest constituent parts and we end up compartmentalizing ourselves. So we kind of have our, our church life and our church life is over here and we have our, our school life and our school life is over here and we have our, our family life and our family life is over here and then we have our, our, our secret private life that is kind of in here. And, and if we're not careful, what we can end up doing is we can have a mask that we wear in each of those compartments of life and we can be a different person to different people in different ways. And somehow we think, that we can even keep parts of our lives secret and private from God himself. But what happens is we end up living disintegrated lives. All those varied compartments and pieces of our lives don't come as a whole package and we feel disconnected and disintegrated. And, and, and part of God's invitation to us is to experience the reintegration of our lives in Jesus Christ. We are 
made whole in Jesus because the truth of God's love has overcome our sin and our brokenness. And we are allowed to enter into an integrity of living where we have all of the constituent parts of ourselves brought together into a whole unit and that that whole thing is given to God in worship and that he invites us to be used by God in ways that we couldn't even ask or imagine. We give our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we also have to understand that money is a part of our lives. It's important for us as a church to understand how are we using money in our lives. Whether or not you give money to Faith Covenant Church or not is not the issue. We're not here to ask for your money on our behalf. Rather, we're asking one another, how are we living with and treating the money in our life as a gift that God has given us. Why? Because the Bible very clearly teaches us that money is one of the primary competitors to God for our own affections and trust. The Bible has more than 2,350 verses on money, wealth, and possessions. Why would the Bible talk so much about money unless money is one of those things that in and of itself can become a God in our lives. It's interesting, you know, a lot of people, when you talk to them about uh, their growth in their spiritual life and, and how they're using their money in their faith life, uh, they, would, they kind of say, well, I don't have a lot of money now, so I don't give a lot of money. But if I can grow in my income and I, when I get a little bit more money, then I'll, I'll give more money. And, and the average statistic suggests that today the average person gives about 2 to 3% of, of their money to charitable giving, to, to not either to churches or to other organizations. But it's interesting that the more our prosperity increases as human beings, the percentage of charitable giving actually decreases, not the other way around. Why is that? Why, as we gain in prosperity, as we grow in our ability to secure our own financial resources, is there the temptation to give less and less of it away? I'd suggest that because the more we have, the more we think we need, and the more we want, and we put our own faith and security in the resources that we have to care for ourselves. And we begin to become fearful about letting go of that sense of control. One person has said, as Christians, we need to give more than our church needs our money. We need to give more than our church needs our money. And you see, it's a discipleship question. It's not about, uh, we need you to give us your money so that we can do what we want to do. The question is, are you giving money away in your own life, whether here or to some other needy person or organization, as a sign that you are holding all of the things in your life loosely and as a sign of worship in your relationship with God? Because that's really the question of spiritual growth is, are you allowing God to be the Lord and the master of your life? Or are you allowing these other things to creep in to be the places where you're putting your own trust and security? As a church and as individual believers in our own future at Faith Covenant Church, we want to learn to make lifestyle choices on the basis of whole life stewardship, that everything that we have Everything that we are is a part of God's gift to us and a part of the gift that he's given us to give away. We as a church are a generous and a sacrificial church. 
I, I love this church. We last year gave away 20% of our income to missional and charitable organizations around the world. And that, that's, a, that's a, an awesome statement that we have a faith community that gets the importance of sacrificial and generous living and giving. I would like to optimize that and in the future continue to build on that goal to not only give away money on behalf of the kingdom of God, but to bring our gifts and of our time and our talent and have an equal measure of whole life stewardship in every aspect of our lives. How do we continue to encourage and develop a culture of generosity and of sacrificial living and giving as a faith community? I'd like to suggest in closing that it starts with each one of us simply humbly coming before God in thankfulness and gratitude. Gratitude is simply the the worshipful position that we come before God and we recognize, God, everything that I have has come as a gift from you. And if we have that attitude of gratitude, then all of life becomes free to, to give away whatever gifts we have been given in joy because it ultimately doesn't really belong to us anyway, right? And so we are set free in a way to live the adventure of life, of sacrificial living and giving as a model of the God who gave his own son to let us know how much we were his priority and how much he loved us. And it's the least that we can do to share in that gift-giving. And as the season of gift-giving approaches, may we understand that it's not about the presence, but ultimately it is about the gift. Would you pray with me? God, as the worship team comes, and as we are reminded again of your generosity toward us, God, it's the least that we can do to come and to to say thank you and in gratitude to recognize that you continue to bless us with so many good things, whether it's the people in our lives who have mentored us and encouraged us, or it's the resources that you've given us to be able to take care of our needs and our families, or it's a wonderful church and a faith community that we can be a part of. God, this morning, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you and live our lives with an attitude of gratitude. God, would you set us free again from all those temptations that we would have to put our security in our own popularity, our own success, the balance of our checking account. And help us to see, God, that even little gestures of sacrifice and generosity put us in line with your spirit. God, we've come not to follow our own insights and our own wisdom, but we've come to follow you. We give our lives again in worship this morning and ask that you would teach us how to live more and more with your love and your generosity in our hearts.